So it'll be in Genesis 2 and 3 and Ephesians 5. I lied. We're going to start at Ephesians 5. That's what happens when I start talking without my notes in front of me. So when you get to Ephesians 5, I I don't want to read the whole passage again, but before we actually start talking about anything, I just want to read 31 and 32. And then we'll have a short prayer and then we'll move on from there. So Ephesians 5, 31 and 32. So I I told you I got the title wrong on the bulletin for the sermon. I just didn't change it from last week. But here's what I want you to think about today as we go through this time together. Uh, Marriage, one purpose... Two roles. Marriage, one purpose, two roles. Um, and not the roles you put butter on. Okay. We'll, we'll clarify that a little bit later. But let's read Ephesians 5, 31 and 32, and then follow that with a, a short prayer. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. The mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Pray pray with me. Spirit of God, might you open up our eyes to see and understand. Spirit of God, would you bring conviction within our hearts? Cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Exalt your... Uh, exalt Jesus Christ within our hearts and in our minds this morning. For the glory of God, in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week we started uh, our, our, our month-long, and I'm trying to hold to that month-long uh, idea, that we're going to talk about family for the month of September. And last week we did, we, we started on family in a very broad sense, and I, I gave us the kind of the idea that Family, in the way that we're discussing it, could really be thought of in two different parts. Marriage, and then, you know, the fruit of marriage, children, which the other part of that would be parenting. So, over the next two weeks, we're going to be focusing on the marriage aspect, and then the final week of September, we will, Lord willing, look at parenting, which in a Sunday, there'll be a lot to cover um, so what we're doing is, and if you, if you saw the, uh, getting ready for Sunday, um, post or email, I made the analogy of what we're doing is we're, we're peeling back the layers of an onion. You know, we started big and we're, we're, we're focusing in. And so today we're going to focus on a little bit closer and look at marriage. But as we get through this today, we're going to be seeing that we're going in a little bit deeper and we're going to be focusing more on man or the husband and his role this morning. Uh, and Lord willing, probably into tonight as well. So, marriage, its purpose is the same as what we described last week as the family. And ultimately, it's the glory of God. And in that, in having one purpose, we have two people within a marriage. So, God designed marriage for one purpose, but with two roles, one each for the different uh, person 
in the relationship. So here's what we're going to see today. Here's what I just want to lay out, my objectives, thinking about marriage and roles, especially for the husband. Number one, God had an intentional design for marriage, and it is seen in Genesis 1, 2, and even into 3. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time helping us think about the normal way we talk about the design as in a man and a woman. We're going to assume that today, okay? I don't see anybody in here that I've got to, we've got to not assume that. That we're moving past a man, one man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to one woman, okay? That's, that's where we know that. And that those roles, the design was, was given uh, to a role to a husband and task to a husband, a role for a wife and task for a wife. And it still stands today. That's really the issue that we have in the world today. Like God made it in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, but it's, it's, it's disappeared. Or at least it feels like it has. No, it has. Right? And that's why we're, we're thinking about this as recovering the biblical family. Recovering it. So God laid out a certain design for marriage in the first three chapters of Genesis. The role and task of the husband and the wife. It still stands today. The second thing is... What I want us to see is that the world is attempted to undermine that very design, those roles and tasks. And do you want to know why? Because they don't care about the purpose. They don't know the purpose. And we talked about that a little bit last week. The purpose for marriage from a worldly perspective is whether we want to acknowledge it is me, myself, and I. That's the worldly and purpose for a marriage but the third thing is again that we'll take a closer look today as the husband or the husband at in his role how how do we fulfill the purpose of God's design in marriage well that was what we read first in Ephesians 32 532. Now, Adam and Eve didn't know this, but when God made Adam and Eve and brought them into union, Adam and Eve and their marriage was a copy, a shadow, a type of a marriage that was to come. You remember in Hebrews, we talked about shadows and copies and types. Adam and Eve's union was a copy, a shadow, a type of Christ's marriage and union with His bride, the church. That's what Ephesians 5.32 says. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. The church is the bride of Christ. When family and marriage is done correctly, the character of God, the union of Christ and the church is on display and He is glorified. What is displayed in the relationship between Christ and the church? Well, we could make a big list here for Christ. Patience, grace, authority, forgiveness, humility, long-suffering, love. Let me say those again and tell me how you're doing with these in your marriage. Patience, grace, authority, forgiveness, humility, long-suffering, and love. You see... The, the characteristics of Christ towards the church ought to be characteristics of our marriage. 
is a lot like what Brother Dan's teaching in Sunday school. When you're obedient to what you've been called to, you are going to express the character of Him who has called you to it. And when you do what you're supposed to do that God has called you to, you are telling everyone in the world, this is what God is like. And therefore they give glory to God. They might not give glory to God um, in their expression of thanksgiving, but even when Jesus was obedient to His will to the Father... And things happened in his lifetime, in his ministry, and people actually rebelled from it or was repelled from it. It says that they gave glory to God. Okay? So we have to see that ultimately the objective of marriage was a copy and type and shadow of the marriage between Christ and his, and his bride. Um, so... Let, let, let's start, again, peel the onion a little bit, and let's think about the two roles. So there is a man and a woman. Uh, there is two people who are after one purpose. And I'm going to use these two terms today, and probably next week as well. Role, R-O-L-E, and tasks, T-A-S-K-S. So here's here's... Role is the part that you play. Role is the part that you play. And that part, that role, includes tasks. Right? So if you think about it like um, like a story, a story typically has, at minimum, two roles. The good guy and the bad guy. And in those roles, you see them doing things that point back to their, who they are, the good guy or the bad guy. They are, they are playing a role, a part, and what they are doing is based on that role and part, and it's all intertwined. Um, so the two roles that we see for marriage is given to us in Ephesians 5. Look at verse 22. Wives, submit... There's the first one. To your own husband as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife. There's the second. As Christ is the head of the church. So we categorize these two roles as headship, headship, and submission. Headship, and that is towards the role of the husband. And submission, that is the role towards the wife. And you're... Uh, you, Here's what I, I want to make sure we understand because I don't want us to ha have sticker shock as we start working through this. This is, if you Googled or got on YouTube and said, I need to hear a sermon on marriage, more than likely, this is not what you would hear. More than likely, it's going to be a lot of good things from Scripture that are true to help your marriage flourish. Well, here's what I'll say. You said you both submit to what you're about to hear today, your marriage will flourish. Okay? You won't need love languages, you won't need you won't even need date night. But when you submit to your calling as a husband and a wife the way God intended, your love will flourish. Your relationship will flourish. 
And everyone will look around and say, how are you doing that? Like, what night do y'all go out? Who's your babysitter? What books are you reading? The Bible. Right? So, this isn't going... This isn't... I'm sure you've heard marriages on headship and submission, but the majority of the marriage sermons preached today don't go this route. So, here's what we... I think we always know and need to understand. It's kind of just a side note. There is no gray area. Let me say that again. There's no gray area in these two roles. It's black and white. There are two. And one is given to the man and one is given to the woman. You can't add to it. You can't subtract away from it. And you can't kind of mix it up a little bit. There are two roles, one for a man and one for a woman. The the husband is the head and the wife is to submit. No other options. And if you try to do anything better, you're just going to make it worse. Right? That's what we talked about last week. Progressivism. Trying to make what, what is old, new, and better. But when you try to make something that is so old that it goes back to God creating it in Genesis 1 and 2, when you try to make it better, you just make things Worse, for a family seeking to glorify God, which is the purpose of the family, the marriage must be in pursuit of these assigned roles for the husband and wife. But you might say the times are changing, Luke. Get with it, man. But the Word of God never changes. Do you understand? The truth of God never changes. And that is what we have to guard against. Because as as the world is going that way, as the world is going that way, away from the truth, and you stand in what the Bible says, you're getting further apart from them. You're not walking the other way and they're walking... You're like, well, I like to go this way and my opinion takes me that way. No, our opinion is firm. Because our opinion is not opinion. It's the truth of God, right? So when people move from it, they're going to look at us and say, you're going farther and farther that way. I was like, no, I'm just standing still right here on the Scriptures. I'm just standing still. Because they don't change. All right? So as uh, here's an example for us as we come back into the idea of roles and tasks being different for one purpose uh, I, I'll try to have a few analogies over the next two weeks. Um, but the one that came to me this week, and because it's, because it's football season, um, is, is football. Right? If you're playing football and you're on offense, what is your purpose? It's not a home run, Layla. We talked about that yesterday. But it's a touchdown. It's a touchdown. I... Forgive me. I'm sorry. Forgive me. Sorry. Um, see, I'm. I told you this is not e- parent, being the head is not easy. You fail in front of everyone. Uh, okay. Um, your purpose in football is for your team to score a touchdown. Okay. Your purpose is for your team to score a touchdown. We're going to minimize it here, and let's just say our team wants to run a pass play to score a touchdown. 
What do you need minimally to do that? You need a quarterback and a wide receiver. You need someone to throw the ball, and you need someone to catch the ball. Now, two different roles with two different tasks to accomplish the same purpose. Okay? Now, here's why that illustration to me fits us so well. is because the wide receiver can't go, but man, I really want to throw the ball. Like, just let me throw the ball too. Because then what's happening? You got no one to catch it. The intention is you need both to accomplish the goal. And you know what? The wide receiver, and I'm this is I'm just winging this one. The wide receiver might say, but the quarterback gets all the glory. Well, says who? Says who? When we look at the role of husband and wife, head and submission, no one is better than the other. No one is better. No one's going to go before God and say, yeah, I get to go into that upper room in that mansion because you made me head. Before the Lord, what did I say last week? I think it was Sunday night. There, in Christ, there is no male or female, Greek or slave, but all who are in Christ. Okay, so it's not about who gets more glory. And I say that in the sense of who gets more praise. Because ultimately, who do we want to get the glory? God. Okay, so now there, there's, there's one. So now we're going to think about the husband for a minute, and then we'll think about the wife as we look to Genesis, and then we'll come back and focus on the man. So go, let's go back to Genesis 3. Hmm. I might be in, we might, we'll we'll just play it by ear here. I think it's actually going to be in two. Yeah, chapter two, verse 15. So as you read... As you read chapter 2, you're reading it in a, a, a an order where God has created Adam, but is yet to create Eve. So in that context, God, in chapter 2, verse 15, the Lord God took the man that he had created and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. So God has tasked, Adam, the man, to work and keep the garden. 
And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You shall surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evils you shall not eat, for in the day that you shall eat it, you shall surely die. And there not only does God give the man the, the task of working the garden, but he also says, Here are the rules, man. Here are the rules, Adam. So the first thing we see as the man, as the head, his first, his first task, number one, is to work. But I want to change that phrase a little bit. Look at chapter 3, verse 19, and I'm getting ahead of myself, but I want to make the connection. Why is he working? Verse 19 of chapter 3. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. If you don't work, you don't what? And if you got somebody in your house, he's if you don't work, they don't eat. So God put Adam in the garden to work. Ultimately, and this is the word I want to hang on to, to provide. To provide. Okay? Now, the next thing, and he gave him the rule... He gave him the command, and we assume that he gave that command to his wife after she was created. But then, and we talked about this last Sunday night, so I don't want to go too deep into it. When the enemy come came to attack the only two people on the earth, the only family there, he came and attacked Eve. But what did God say after it all went down? Oh, Adam, where are you? He didn't call out for Eve. He didn't call out for them. He called out for Adam. Verse 9, but the Lord called, chapter 3, but the Lord God called to the man and said, called to who? The man and said, where are you? So, what we see here is that Adam was responsible to protect his wife. So we have two words that we can think of to describe the task of the husband as seen in Genesis, and that is to provide and protect. And I'm just going to add a third one to help us always think about it, and that one is to lead. To receive the command and then give it to his wife would be to lead his wife. So we're going to think of the task of the head, which is the husband, to lead, provide, and protect. Now, Eve, the woman, is in the role of submission. And the task that she has, I'm going to simply put it like this, as it said in verse 18 of chapter 2. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. The task of the role of submission, first and foremost, is the helper fit for the man, provided by God. Now, there's a couple things that I want to make clear. This is not a helper like a secretary or an assistant whose only connection is aid. And that Hebrew word really of help really speaks of aiding. Um, it's not a hired hand. 
But God desired a helper that was intimately involved with the man. He wanted a helper who was of the man, one with the man. And that's why he gave Eve, or Adam Eve from his self. Eve was made for the man and Eve was made from the man. That's 1 Corinthians 11. And when Adam sees her, he doesn't say, oh, a helper. Look what he says in chapter 2, verse 23. Then the man said, and I just... this is poetic form. Moses, he, he, he puts it in poetic form as he's writing it. And I assume, I'm assuming within the way I'm reading it, that this is how Adam responded. No, you've got to understand also, he's been going through creation. God has put before him all the animals that have that has been created, not just to name them, but looking for a helper. Adam's like looking. He's already knowing that he's needing a helper. But he says, this at last. uh, Finally. The elephant didn't work. The giraffe didn't work. The birds at last. But what is the qualifying characteristic? Bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Look at verse 24. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. See, the relationship of man and helper isn't one of the worker and the aid. It is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. I, We had a conversation, and I, I have to talk about this. We had a conversation the other night where I used the word supplement for Eve. Now, for you, for those of you who know and have worked out and you take supplements, they are an addition to what you're doing to complete the nutrients that you need in order to do what you're doing. And we were having this conversation and, and Sylvia's like, but you know what, that doesn't work because we don't want to make it sound as if, as if Eve's got to jump in and, and, and do it with him or help him or take over. But the point is, is that after God created Adam and gave him a job, he said, it's not good. He said, it's not good. But after the creation of Eve from Adam, what does he say? It is very good. It is very good. So we cannot devalue the idea of a helper or an aid. Man without the help and aid of his wife is not good in the eyes of God. Man without the help or aid of his wife is not good in the eyes of God. So what does that tell you about God's valuation, eval of that help? It is very valuable. It is very good. Hello, we've got a culture, we've got a world that is ashamed of the idea of a wife being a helper. We have a culture that's being shaped by the likes of 
feminism and egalitarianism that says the biblical idea of a woman as a helper is oppressive, sexist, immoral, and outdated. But God said it is not good that the man should be alone. Not for love's sake, not for uh, sexual reasons, not for fulfillment in his desires, but that he might have a, a helper. To do what? To bring image bearers. To give glory to God in the working of the garden, in the working of the land. To bring more image bearers and more glory across His creation. And so, one thing is while we acknowledge, let's talk about the wisdom of the world that's pressing in against us at the moment. There is an evil, as I've mentioned, that is seeking to oppose the truth, and that is feminism. But here's what I what I make what I want to make sure that we don't do is as a church and we go shouting around running feminism this, feminism that. That we have to understand that we don't give man or the men an excuse in that. And here's what I, I want you to understand. Why, why would a woman desire... And here's, here's the, the, the idea behind feminism is that uh, men and women should have equal right and equal opportunity. But what that really is working out to see is that they want equal opportunity for a purposeful life. Like their husband. They want a job or a career. Why would they desire that? I, here's one of many reasons. But the one the Lord put on my heart this week. It's because for the past centuries, the men that they are watching have idolized their career. And made their purpose their career. Made their hobbies their career, I mean their their purpose, their fulfillment, made the going out with the guys their satisfaction. And so the women say, I want to go do that. He's having fulfillment in his job and he's working 60 hours a week. I want to go work 60 hours a week. I, I want to, and hear me, and I said this last week, if we get into something to where you have been here, done that, if the conviction comes, I'm not trying to ram you into the ground. I'm trying to help us to see how we might repent of that and help one another. But in see, women seeing men idolize their jobs and their careers and stay away from the house hour upon hour for the fulfillment of what they find at their job or might even they might even be idolizing the fact that they're men and they're providing and the women want to go do the same and so how many how many weeks after uh, birth do they go back to work 9 12 I don't know 6 Because they want to chase after the fulfillment that they see their husbands having as they go to work. 
So as I might say something about this ism or this ism, I want us to understand that men are responsible. You understand me, men? We are responsible. Uh, I'm going to try this little parable and see where how it goes. An owner of a beautiful garden asks you and your wife to care for their garden. And the benefits of that garden, pay attention, the benefits of the garden is the fruit that you harvest. And it is enough to provide for your family and their more to sell and to bring in more income. The owner leaves you with one tool, one tool to tend this garden. And the tool was made specifically for the dimensions of the man. And when he picks it up, it feels right. And if she were to pick it up, she could use it. But it wouldn't feel completely like it was made for her. And as they begin to work the garden, things are going smoothly. The man is utilizing the tool. The woman is assisting in the ways needed to allow him to focus on his work of the garden with the tool that was made specifically for him. And the harvest is plentiful and magnificent. But over time, something happens. One day, the man was finishing up a hard day's work and he was exhausted. He was so exhausted, he was about to collapse and he could not finish the row that he was working on. So he sat down. But the wife noticed just how hard he had been working, how exhausted he was, and that there was a little bit left to be harvested. And so in keeping with her role to help her husband I'm saying a good desire she goes and picks up the tool and starts to harvest in the row because she knows that if she can help her husband rest we could finish the day and tomorrow he can come back and take it on again she wanted to actually do to help and to be there for him so that he could come back the next day she picks up the tool and the husband gets irate. And he yells, put down that tool. That's my tool. Go back inside. You're not supposed to be doing that. I am. What had happened? Over time, the husband got proud. He got a big head. He felt that he was important because he was providing, that the tool fit him. He was not working anymore for the purpose of caring for the owner's garden that was not actually his and providing for his family, but now he idolized not only his work, his tool, but himself. And when the husband exalts his work, himself, and his tool above his true purpose and above the work of his wife, he demeans the help that she was made to give. She begins to feel like her work has no value. Her help isn't any good. And then what happens? She begins to idolize that which he has so much passion about. His own work. His job. And so what does she do? She goes and starts her own garden. 
She fashions in the best attempt her own tool. She sets aside the help to her husband to go do her own thing. Now there's two gardens with two people doing the work of four. That harvest isn't going to be plentiful. It's not going to be magnificent. Feminism is only filling the void that we men have made. Okay? And this is where we are today. And that shift has become so drastic that to push against the way the days are now, to stand for biblical roles and tasks of husband and wife, is to be an enemy of the human rights to be an enemy of the woman, to be an enemy of society if we stand for biblical roles. Now here's what I didn't say. I want you to notice in that parable that it was good that the woman took up the tool to help her husband finish the day. No one has ever said that a woman could not work. But her priority, her role, her task, to help her husband. Okay? Now, that was the first task of the wife, and that is to help the husband. Now, I spent a lot of time on that because I, I knocked on the husbands a little bit in that, which I think is right. Now, the second task given to the, to the wife as, as one in submission is found in Eve's name. Eve's name means giver of life, life giver. I cannot begin to overstate to you how priceless this task is. And I cannot begin to overstate how worthless the world makes you makes you want to feel about it. Let me state that again. I cannot overstate how priceless the task of being Eve, a life giver, is bringing forth children, rearing them, nurturing them to be image bearers. And I cannot overstate how worthless the world wants you to think that task actually is. Society stands or falls on this one task of the woman. To bring forth children and to nurture them. The woman had been created by God to bring forth life. Dwell on that for a moment. Adam gets to work in the fields. Eve gets to bring life into the world. Adam plucks the fruit of the vine. Eve nurtures the hearts and minds and bodies of little human beings. The fruit of Adam's work, now it has benefit, but it goes in the mouth and comes out as waste. The fruit of Eve's work is raising children and forming them as the next generation of image bearers. This is a wonderful task for Eve and for all women. Now our cultural response today is what you just said is degrading to women 
and you make them out to be like cows for the production of calves. Men get the careers and we get to have babies. That's our culture today. That's the attitude. No, it's actually, as we've worked through all these isms, it's actually become the very opposite. The feminist movement, which has destroyed our understanding of what a woman really is in the beautiful design of God, and progressivism has come and said that love decides what we marry, who we marry, whether a man is a woman. So now we have, hear this, we have, we're the ones who make women out to be just baby makers, like cows, okay? Hear, hear this. Now today we have homosexual men getting married, one pretending to be more woman-like than the other, all the while they contract hire a woman outside of their relationship to procure for them a child. And we're the ones who treat women like cattle? We're in times where good is called evil and evil is called good. God designed the woman physically, emotionally, to create life and nurture it to maturity. What a beautiful thing. Society depends on God's, on women's God-given ability to perform her God-given role as the giver of life. Now, uh, I have to make a decision. I think we're going to stop. Here is one of my hesitation in talking about these topics. Um, some of you men heard me say that you are the head of your wife. That you are the one to lead and protect and provide. Now... In all great intentions, and I hope this is kind of how it works this week for you, that you go home and try to put this in practice. But the problem is, you will fail. And we all know it. Because that's who we are. We're fallen people. We're fallen men who want to abuse authority. Even in the best of intentions. We think I'm the head and I'm going to go to my wife. And, I, and I, I'm going to show my authority. I'm going to lead her and I'm protecting her in this. And you're going to go to her and you are going. You're going to fall on your face. And my wife's laughing because I do it all the time. And I'm saying like, I'm, I was trying. I was trying. And so here's, here's just what I, is how I want to finish. 
and I'm going to say this multiple times throughout this week, throughout the rest of this month. As you, and I'm speaking specifically to you men and young men, as you approach obedience to being the head of your wife, look unto Christ. Look unto Christ. Because He is the example of manhood. Okay? And I'm just going to give you this and we'll come back to it. I haven't decided if I want to work through this tonight or not because, you know, our crowds dwindle at night. And I don't want you men to miss this. So I don't know. I'm sorry. I just don't know if we're going to come back to this tomorrow or next week or not. Um, But still, please, please make every effort to come and worship with the church this evening at 6 p.m. But I want to just say this. I want to read a quote from a book that I have at home. It's called This Momentary Marriage. And speaking about how we ought to look as men as the head, here's the way that we ought to approach it. Here. Uh, This book is written by John Piper, and he he says the head could be described as lion-hearted and lamb-like. Lion-hearted and lamb-like. Now, we'll look more about those two understandings of those um, characteristics down the road, but this is what he says. This is how he describes headship. The reason I am using the title lion-hearted and lamb-like To refer to the Christian husband as head of the wife is because the husband is called to lead like Jesus, who is the Lion of Judah and the Lamb of God. He was lion-hearted and lamb-like, strong and meek, tough and tender, aggressive and responsive, bold and broken-hearted. He sets the pattern for manhood. So as you... If there are something men to hold on to as you desire to lead your wife well as the head hang on to that statement lion hearted and lamb like and when you mess up you can look back and say I'll tell you which one you're going to be wrong on it's lamb like more than likely okay now here's what I also one more parting shot I said to lead Provide and protect. Now, I know a lot of pagan men who live to do those three things for their wives and for their homes. To lead, provide, and protect. Because they're supposed to. Because they're made in the image of God and they are made as a man to be the head of their home. Whether they acknowledge Christ or not. And so by the common grace of God, they at least have that right. But where they fail is the spiritual side of that. Now hear me, men, if you have lived your life and you have called yourself the leader, the provider, and the protector of that home, but you have failed to lead, provide, and protect your family in spiritual things and lead and provide and protect to Christ Jesus, you're only hitting half the mark. And you're like every other pagan husband in this world. And so, and here, okay, one more. You cannot do this, men, on your own. 
You cannot. You try to be ahead of a house as a lone sheep, you're going to get eat up by the wolves. Okay? It's going to happen. I. You need accountability. And if you think, well, I'll have my wife hold me accountable. Well, we'll see how that goes. Tuesday, 5.30 a.m., that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. We're going to ask three questions every Tuesday. What are you reading in the Bible this week? How's your marriage? How are you struggling and what are you thankful for? We're going to talk about those things. Alright? So, let's pray. Father, help us. Help us to be obedient to that which you've called us to. As husbands and wives. As sinners. We thank you for our bridegroom. Our elder brother, Jesus Christ. And his perfect example. Might you be glorified in our marriages. Every day. Strengthen our men. Help them to stand firm, be watchful, and to act like men, and to do all things in love. We pray all this for Christ's sake. Amen. So men, if there's one song that you need to sing loud,